The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and this week we're going to talk about what a linguist knows. I'm always saying, well, we linguists think, well, it's something that a linguist would consider, etc. What is this stuff that we think? Is there a linguist frame of mind? Well, yes, there is. We see language in a way that's different from how the layman usually sees it. And that's not only in that we don't think there's a such thing as people speaking wrong. That's only the tip of the iceberg. We are taught to look at what I'm doing right now as having a certain anatomy, a certain physiology. We have our own kind of table of the elements, you might call it, our own anatomy chart, our own Pythagorean theorem, etc. And you might like to know what some of that is. On this show, I've generally avoided giving you too much textbook introduction to linguistics kind of material. But, you know, I shouldn't hold it back from you completely because a lot of it is, once you wrap your head around it, pretty neat stuff. So I just want to share with you some of the basic tools that we use when anal... Well, no, I'm not going to put it that way. That sounds very remote. Some of the ways that we see language that differ from the way you might see language that can actually be kind of helpful. If anything, they give you a sense of why linguists see language with wonder instead of thinking of it as something to despair over. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you are a linguist kind of person, then one thing that distinguishes you is that you don't think about letters You're used to listening to people talk about letters and you instantly make a translation in your head. We don't think about letters. We think about sounds. Language has sounds. And I don't mean, I don't mean sounds like that. I mean that we think of English as having not 26 letters. That's utterly irrelevant. The vowels coming in an order, A, E, I, O, U, that's quite arbitrary. We think of language as having sounds, like English as having, depending on how you count it, 44 sounds. And that means that when we linguists write language, then really, if we're doing it among ourselves, we don't use the letters that happen to be those of this thing called the English alphabet. We have a system. It's kind of a code. I used to dread teaching it to students, assuming they'd find it boring. They don't. It's the IPA. And that's not it's not the hoppy beer that I still like. I can tell it's going to be one of those things. It's like the um, California Chardonnays that tasted really oaky. I mean, there, there are Chardonnays that taste like your furniture. That became really hot in the 90s. I liked that kind of Chardonnay. Then for some reason, it just went out of style, like you know, Formica or Bell Bottoms or something. People just stopped drinking that, and they started drinking other kinds of Chardonnay that, frankly, I have never thought were as good. So nowadays, I'm often hunting for those really oaky, bench-like Chardonnays, because for me, they do not go out of style. And I'm going to feel that way about IPAs. I get the feeling they've already crested. No, I like that beer. I like beer that hurts. In any case, the IPA for linguists is the International Phonetic 
alphabet. Well, why do we need that? Not just because there's some dandy code, but you have to think about the difference between how we write and what we're actually saying, because there can be such a gulf and beyond the sorts of things that we usually talk about at parties. And so, for example, let's take three words, food, good, blood. Now, they're all spelled the same way. Food, good, blood, all have O-O. So, ooh, uh, uh. Now, how do you spell ooh? Well, it's kind of obvious. You have the two O's. Ooh, okay. But there's food, but then there's blood, and you don't say blood. So how do you spell uh if you wanted to indicate how to pronounce that with our English alphabet? Well, that's easy, too. You, you do U-H. Good. Okay. So food, and then for blood, you might use the U-H if you wanted to indicate it. Now, good. How do you spell uh? See? You can't use the two O's because that's already for oo, and you can't use U-H because that's uh. How do you spell uh? And you can kind of make something up like E-U-G-H, but then the question becomes, how do you spell uh in a way that any reader of English would instantly understand exactly what you meant? See, you just can't. And that means that in the IPA, oo is what you think of as a U, and then uh is this kind of upside down V, and then uh is a kind of horseshoe. We need to have all three of those to make it clear, as opposed to this nimble guesswork that we do with the written O-O. Or, how do you spell ah? Not ack, but ah, if you don't have a k at the end of it. Ah, if you just write A-A exclamation point, it might be ah, and A-H doesn't spell ah. Well, what does? What spells the ah in cat? Well, the IPA has a symbol that's exactly for that. It looks like A and E leaning back to back like they're posing for the beginning credits of some sitcom in the 1980s. This ash symbol, as it's called. That's how you do it, but you need to be able to do it. Or here, here's my favorite one. Picture these two words in what we call our writing system. So, singer, now finger. They only differ in the S and the F, the S and the F. Singer, finger. But notice that they don't rhyme precisely. So singer is singer, but then finger is not the way anybody would say it. A finger would be somebody who fings. So whatever finging would be, we need not discuss it. That's a finger who does it. But that's different from those things on your hands. Singer, but finger. Now there's some people who say singer, but most people don't. And so for those of us who say singer, and finger, they don't rhyme. So what's going on? You think that in both of them, you have an N and a G sound in the middle. And in finger, you certainly do. But if singer is pronounced singer and not singer, then what's up? Then you might think, well, we just say singer faster. But you know, why? Why are we in a hurry when we say singer? That's not really it. It's that even though those words are written to look so similarly, they have different sounds in the middle. Finger is finger. You've got an n and a g. You've got an n and a g. Yeah. But in singer, really, you've got something else. It's just nyeh, nyeh. And it's not said any more quickly than finger. Singer, finger. I said them at exactly the same pace. It's that singer has this other thing in the middle. It's written ng, but really, it's not ng. It's its own one sound. Nyeh, nyeh. It has a name. It's called engma. And it looks like an N with a long tail. It's like an N that has become a kind of a lemur. See, the IPA is kind of fun. So, singer with the engma in the middle, not just an N and a G, because you have to have a system that indicates why we say singer but finger.
So that's the IPA. We don't think of the letters because, frankly, the letters suck. We think about sounds and we have a way of representing the sounds with our special kind of alphabet. And of course, to the extent that the IPA is familiar at all out in the real world, it's probably from Pygmalion slash the musical version, My Fair Lady, where you have Henry Higgins walking around transcribing the way people talk using his special code. Henry Higgins was based on an actual Henry Sweet, who was one of the pioneers of this way of approaching sounds without letters. And I think it would be nice here to play something from My Fair Lady since it is time for music. But Wow, it's rather, you know, as they say about pop songs, an overplayed musical. So I don't want to just play you Why Can't the English, that song from the beginning. So let's do it in German. And the reason I want to play it in German is because, one, it's just fun to hear American musicals in other languages. And also, if you're a friend of mine, you've probably heard me do this in certain boats around New York. But it won't be me. This will be a, a professional performer. And so this is Why Can't the English, which I'll bet a lot of you have already heard. Or if you haven't, then go on YouTube and listen to it. Here it is in the German language where if you were German, I imagine you would imagine that it had been written in German. Here it comes. Kann denn die Kinder keiner lehren, wie man spricht? Die Sprache macht den Menschen, die Herkunft macht es nicht. Wenn sie auch so sprechen, Herr, wie Sie mit dem Busch und Au, dann enden sie auch als Blumenfrau. Also ich muss verbitten, mein Herr. Ein Engländer wird so, wie er spricht, gesellschaftlich betrachtet. Kaum sagt er, was hat ihn schon ein anderer Engländer verachtet. Wo bleibt die Sprache, die die Menschen näher bringt? Wer lehrt nur die Kinder das? Was klingt so unästhetisch dabei noch phonetisch ein Schreck für jedes Ohr? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So, no letters, talk about sounds. But then, even with sounds, we have to get a little more particular. There's sounds, and then there's sounds. And what I mean by that is this let's talk about pit and spit. Kind of an odd thing to talk about, I know. But even listen to this because I'm doing this at a microphone. Pit and spit. Did you hear how there was a little bit of a pop when I said pit? So, pit and spit both have a P in them. But when I say the P in pit, there's a pop. Peter, Pepper, Picta. There's some studios where I have to have something put in front of the mic because apparently I pop my P's. But then there's spit. Now, I didn't say it. I said spit. It's a P too, but it's a different kind of P. So pit, spit. It's kind of like if you isolate them, it would be like this. P, but P. Now, to us, that is a very minor detail. I'm telling you that the P and spit and the P and pit are very slightly different, but they're both P. And well, there's a who to thunk it, but frankly, who cares? If that's what linguistics was, I would be digging ditches or something else. But Here's the thing. P and P in other languages can be much more interesting because they can make the difference between one word and another. So Korean, pul. That's not, for Koreans, I know I, I sound like somebody's dog, but I'm trying. So grass, pul. 
There you go. And you have the, the P, the popping, the Peter Piper Popeye, like that. Okay. But then, pool. That's a different word. That means fire. So, pool, grass. Pool, fire. The difference between the two is P is for grass, P is for fire. So, the puffy one that leaves a little bit of spit or vapor, that makes it grass. Pool. But if it's the one that doesn't leave all the spit in the vapor, in other words, it's that same P that we use in English in a word like spit, except imagine if you took the S off of spit and just said pit. Notice that? Hit. Well, in Korean, pool means fire. So that means that in English, P and P are just variations on the same sound in an uninteresting way. In Korean, P and P are real sounds. They are completely different. A Korean thinks of those as different sounds. The way we put it in linguistics is that in Korean, P and P are phonemes. They are phonemes, real sounds that can make a difference in a word. But all sounds are not phonemes. Phoneme isn't just a cute word for sound in linguistics. In English, P and P are just allophones, we call them, of the same thing. little terminology there, that's all I'm going to give you quite yet. But phonemes in Korean, P and P. In English, P and P are kind of just who cares. You can think of it as it's just some shit. And the technical word for that is allophone. Or here's another example. Take some Japanese words. Just to show, This is just language as it is. And we all know more Japanese words than we think. You go to a Japanese restaurant and you're going to have some beer. Sapporo. Okay, that's something. Your teacher is sensei. So Sapporo, sensei. New Year's, you have soba noodles. So soba, so. Okay. I remember when I was a teenager and I was trying to tell my father that a woman seemed to want to have sex with me and I wasn't sure if I was ready. And he said, well, you're just going to have to do some soul searching. And all of a sudden he was out of father knows best. And that was <laughs> all I got. We were at a Subaru. So Subaru, Soba, Subaru, Sensei, Sapporo beer. Okay. And then let's try... There's a mackerel dish that I only ever had in California. And whenever I mention it on the East Coast, I'm looked at like I'm ordering an elephant's ear on a bun. Saba shioyaki. So saba is mackerel. And I frankly don't know what shioyaki is. Saba shioyaki. Yes, this is getting to a point. Just a little bit more. So you just think about how Japanese words are shaped. Osaka is some city. Then we talk about sushi. Okay. Very interesting. And then there's like the word so that means roughly so in Japanese. So what's going on with all of this is that you're looking and you're noticing that something doesn't happen. With all those words, you've got your sa's and your says and your so's and your su's. We're going through the basic vowels because Japanese's vowels are easy. Sa, se, so, su, but never si. So it's not susi, it's sushi. It's not sabashioyaki, it's sabashioyaki. And if you look through, you see that it's always she, not si. Now, you could just think of that as well, you know, whatever. But the way a linguist sees it is that there's something going on with s in that language, which is that when s comes before an e, it becomes she. So, Sapporo beer, sensei, soba noodles, Subaru, but shioyaki, not sioyaki. Sushi, not sushi. What that means is that in Japanese, the difference between s and sh is, quote unquote, just some shit in that way. Really, sh 
is just a kind of sir. So that means that in our language, sir and sir are completely different sounds. There's sell and there's shell. Those are completely different words. There's sap and then there's shep. Well, no, there isn't. But there's sap. No, that doesn't work either. There's sit and there's shit. Frankly, they are completely different words. Okay. But in Japanese, it's not like that. It's really just that the sh is a kind of s. So sh is just an allophone of a general s-ness in Japanese. That's how we see these things. Those of you who know Japanese know that in words borrowed into Japanese, such as from Chinese, you can get sh's in other ways. But that basic idea is that s, when you stick it before an i, if we're going to think about it as letters, when it's before the e sound, it always becomes she. And that means that you don't have to write sh in places like that in Japanese. Sushi is written in Japanese as sushi because everybody knows that when the su comes before an e, you just pronounce it as she. You get that for nothing. You don't have to write it. That's just how the language goes. So, allophones and phonemes. Phonemes make a difference. And so that's the difference between bat and pat. Okay. But allophones are just variations on the sound that happen for various reasons. That is tricky to get across in classrooms and really is sort of the beginning of really getting how linguists think. Anyway, the way to illustrate this is with a song called If You'll Be Mine from a flop musical of 1948 called Look Ma, I'm Dancing. And really, this is Nancy Walker singing. I've played her singing before. I'm going to play her singing again. This is Rhoda's mother singing. And, you know, this is a song that it's 1948 and it actually refers to buttocks. You'll catch it. Here it is. The the guy who comes in singing afterward is, for those of you who care, Bill Shirley. I wail and weep for you, lose sleep for you, count sheep for you if you'll be mine. I make this vow to you, I'll bow to you, kowtow to you if you'll be mine. Though you're a lout, no doubt, you knock me out. I'll make a play for you, each day for you, and pray for you to give a sign that you'll be mine, oh mine. I'll carry grips for you, on trips for you. Turn flips for you if you'll be mine. This whole campaign for you must explain for you. I'm insane for you, so please be mine. Your little rear, I fear, makes thousands leer. I'll work and slay for you, be brave for you. I'll shave for you, so fall in line and say you're mine. Oh, mine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, phonemes versus allophones. I'm going to give you one more thing that involves terminology. 
words. What's a word? Linguists find more to talk about, Ray, that question than you might think. So, for example, let's imagine like everything dies, dies. Picture that word. Now, if you change the S to a T, you get diet. Well, those are two words. One of them is dies. One of them is diet. But they differ because diet is just one thing. Dies, even though it's spelled with four letters and even though it's one word, dies has two things. It has die, this business of ceasing to exist. Then it has the s, which is the third person singular. It's got two things in it. Or walk, walked. Both of those are single words. Walk and then walked. That's a single word too. But walk just has walk in it. Walked has walk and the t. Well, the t is what makes it pass. So it has two two things in it. Here's another word. One word is dies. One is diet. One is walk. One is walked. Misapplications. But misapplications has a whole bunch of things in it. Miss. Then it's got apply. Then it's got cation or ation. Then it's got the s. And so miss, apply, ation, s. It's got four things in it. So it's not only about words. Words have things in them, and you might want to call the thing a unit of meaning. So in dies, one unit of meaning is, is the dying part. Another unit of meaning is that which makes it third person singular instead of, say, first person singular or something like that. So there are two units of meaning in dies. There are four units of meaning in misapplications, and there are two units of meaning in walked as opposed to one unit of meaning in walk. Unit of meaning, as opposed to word, is morpheme in linguistics. So morpheme is not just a cute word for word, although you almost wish that it were. Not at all. It is a unit of meaning. And just like phonemes and allophones have a certain relationship, you can also have allomorphs. And what I mean by that is this. Let's say we're in Spanish and we're going to say, I speak, hablo. Okay. And then... If we're going to say, I eat, como. So the I part, a lot of you probably know, is the O. But then let's say that you're going to say, he or she speaks. So, habla. Okay. But then he or she eats, come. So it's not coma, unless you want to go subjunctive, and Lord forbid we get into that. So, come. Habla, come. But a and e, the a on habla and the e on come, they're really the same thing. They both make something third person singular. It's just that with verbs that are in the R class, like hablar, you have an A for that. If the verbs are in the ER class, like comer, then you use the E. So they're really the same thing. It's just that you have to know where to use the A and where to use the E. Just like in Japanese, you have to know where to have the S and where to have the SH. And so A and eh in the third person singular in Spanish, those are allomorphs. They're allomorphs of the same general morpheme. They're the same thing that are in different flavors. It's basically like somebody who has a pair of sneakers for every color that they wear. Allomorphs. In English, a and an. So, a pig, an elephant. We know how to use our A and an. We can talk about why some people quote unquote mess it up. Actually, they don't. That's the topic of another podcast. But A and an, a pig, an elephant. They're really the same thing. You know, A and an have the same meaning. They 
apply in the same places. It's just that you use a before a consonant and and before a vowel. So they are allomorphs. A is a unit of meaning. An is a unit of meaning. They are the same unit of meaning that take on different forms depending on what's going on. So we linguists have morphemes that we think about. There are words. Words are great. But words differ in how many morphemes they have. And it's amazing how many morphemes many languages can shove into a word. So, for example, one of the languages of the Caucasus Mountains, every language spoken in the Caucasus Mountains is viciously interesting. They're always worth a look. Georgian is the one that gets in the shop window, but they're all just fascinating. One of them is called Kabardian. And Kabardian is this monstrously complex wonder of a language. And very few people have ever had to learn it as a second language. And so it has become as Baroque as human language can be. And if you want to say he gave it to me, it's all one word. He gave it to me. It comes out as Izitash. So that's how it is. He gave it to me is Izitash. Now, all of that has nine morphemes in it. I could take it apart bit by bit, but frankly, that would get a little abstract. But there's so many things in it. Like the beginning, the I'm going to try that again. That means that you have a stake in this. Like if you say he gave it to me, probably you're saying it for a reason. Well, in this language, if you're saying it for a reason, then you have to indicate it with the that's what that little bit means. And so nine morphemes in just that one is he touched. All of that has nine morphemes. And that means that you want English to catch up with something like that. So you can hear somebody walking down the street and saying, <laughs> gee, yet, meaning did you eat yet? And so it's like, <laughs> gee, yet. Well, the gee, you could hear that as sloppy, but I listen to somebody saying gee, yet. And I think, well, that's great because jeet is this one little word that has three morphemes in it. Did you eat? Did, you, and eat are all units of meaning. You is a unit of meaning. Eat is a unit of meaning. Did puts it in the past. That's meaningful. It's a unit of meaning. So, G, three morphemes, all in one. That gets us a little closer to Izitash. And anything that gets us closer to that is joy for me. Anyway, in terms of um, units in sequence, and really just because I want to start slipping in any song that I like into this series as time goes on, Listen to how this song starts and then just try not to move in a very comfortable way. Just just, just listen.
that is very, very, very good pop writing. It's not Brahms, but it is a very good job in the studio. That's Minute by Minute by the Doobie Brothers. And I used to play this a lot when I was in college with my friends. And, you know, it was a, another time. And, you know, your music playing equipment wasn't as fidelic to the sound as it became once Roughly CDs came in. And I remember for a good long time, I thought it was boop by youp by youp by youp. And I thought that was an artful setting of gibberish to good music. I thought it was kind of like the do-da-da by the police. But then I got the CD and realized it was minute by minute, which I guess is better than boop by youp by youp. One more thing. Crazy word order. You're dealing with a new language and the word order isn't like English's and you get uncomfortable. Well, one thing that can throw you, for example, is that many languages, instead of having subject verb object, so Bill kicked the ball, instead of that, you have subject object verb. So Bill the ball kicked. Subject object verb. We call that SOV. And we call it that because S, O, and V are the initials for subject, object, and verb. Many languages are SOV. Now, when you learn Japanese, you're dealing with SOV-ness. And you get something like you're trying to say, John bought Melissa's book in Tokyo. And the way you have to put it is, John Tokyo in Melissa of book bought. So Melissa's book is Melissa of book. And you say, John Tokyo in Melissa of book bought. And you think that's just crazy word. No, actually not at all. If you're a linguist, something like that comes out in the wash. It's quite predictable. And that's because we know about head order. What is head order? Well, head order is that languages are different in terms of whether they put the real juice maker of a part of a sentence first or last. So Bill kicked the ball. Kick the ball. If you're talking about kicking the ball, what's the juice? It's the kicking. And in English, we are head first. The head is the verb and we say kick the ball. But in a head final language, the juice goes last. And you know, you know, to each his own diversity. So Bill, the ball kicked. You know, good things come last, something like that. Bill, the ball kicked. Well, that business of what's the head applies to all sorts of things. And so, for example, if you've got a preposition followed by something, kind of like in the house. Well, what's got the juice? You might be thinking about the house, but really that little thing is all about situating things. And so the preposition, that's got the juice. And so in English, we say in Tokyo, the head comes first. In a head final language, though, that preposition is going to come last. And so you're going to say Tokyo in. And of course, you can't call it a preposition, so you call it a postposition, or you split the difference and you call them adpositions. But you put that thing afterward because the juice comes later. Or finally, something about possessing something. So Melissa's book. So what's the juice? Is it Melissa or is it the book? Well, it's all about the book. So in a head first language, you're going to say the book of Melissa. But in a head final language, it's going to be Melissa of book. So we think like, say, Spanish speakers. John bought Melissa's book in Tokyo. In Spanish, Juan compró el libro de Melissa in Tokyo. John bought the book of Melissa in Tokyo. That's because Spanish, like English, is head initial. 
It makes perfect sense. For those of you who are Jewish, it's the head of the year, the Rosh Hashanah. Well, the juice there is the head, the Rosh. And so the head of the year, the Rosh Hashanah, that's because Israeli Hebrew is a good head first language. If you know that the language is head final, then nothing is going to scare you about Japanese. You know it's going to go that way. And you don't have any trouble with Turkish or any language you encounter that insists on putting the verb at the end and then you think everything else is so insane. All of it just falls into place like a magnet grabbing whatever it is. You know what I mean. So everything just falls into place. Now, languages mess these things up. They're always hairs out of place. So English is head first and Spanish is head first. Spanish has el libro de Melissa. And so the book of Melissa. We can say the book of Melissa, but it sounds like the Bible, except I don't think there are any prophets named Melissa. But we say Melissa's book. We actually do it the Japanese way. We say Melissa of book. We're used to that. Why English does it that way? People have almost literally come to blows in conference hotels about that. We'll get into that later, except we won't. But it is a hair out of place. But we don't think that any language's word order is crazy at all. Now, what we do know is crazy is love. Love is bittersweet. And you know what? If you want to have the etymology of sweet and bitter, then you have to subscribe to Slate Plus. For a nominal fee, you can hear not only extra parts of podcasts like this, but you don't have to listen to me or anybody else do any ads. And with the money that you pay, you help support not only my show, but that of various other people here at Slate doing fascinating podcasts. So just think about Slate Plus. I'm going to talk all about sweet. Doesn't that sound interesting? But you can only hear it if you subscribe to Slate Plus. Now, in the meantime, oh, just listen. Listen back here. (laughs) You know, a different black man would right now say something along these lines. Mm, It's on. But I don't know how to say that. And so just here is Midnight Train to Georgia by Gladys Knight and the Pips, which is probably the best song ever written, except for about 200 others. It's always been very dear to me. You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. In your slow cooker, what you do is you put the potatoes and the parsnips on the bottom, at least I do. Then you put the roast on top of it. And don't only add beef broth and some red wine. I highly recommend putting au jus powder on top of the the roast beef. If you put that in there, then it's kind of like a rested felt and you've got yourself a stew going, but it's not for a stew. You will have a lovely autumn meal waiting for you at home you can put some brussels sprouts in there and that way you don't have to cook when you get home mike volo is as always the editor and i am john mcwater i'd rather live in his world than live without him in mine